All right, friends, I am so excited for today's episode. So as many of you know, or I hope you know, I have a YouTube channel. I publish over there weekly. I've been doing that since I think 2018, maybe. So I've been over there for a while. What you may not realize, though, is that I have really, really struggled trying to figure out YouTube. You know, I've been able to figure out blogging pretty much on my own, and I've done okay with podcasting. This podcast gets many, many downloads every month. We're pushing around 120,000 at this point in time every single month. And, you know, I've been able to figure out writing a book and doing all these crazy things, course creation, ebook creation. But when it came to YouTube, I felt so stuck. And I would try to listen to different gurus, and I took, took a couple courses, and I just couldn't crack the code of what really worked over on YouTube. And I was getting so discouraged because I felt like I was putting all this time and effort into my videos, and I would spend tons of hours editing and creating, and then I just couldn't get the views. Like, it was falling flat. I was on the verge of quitting YouTube altogether when I came across the Video Creators channel, which is run by a guy named Tim Schmoyer. And as luck would have it, I had a chance to work with Tim and his team. I hired them to help me with my channel. And oh my goodness, they literally turned it around for me and took YouTube for me from being this frustrating place where I felt like I could never get ahead or never get my content seen to a place where I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means, but I am a lot more confident in my strategy. And I actually have videos that are doing much, much better than my older content used to do. So I am so excited to have Tim joining me on the podcast today. His company, Video Creators, has been featured by Fox, Forbes, BBC, and even YouTube themselves as his team trains other creators and business leaders to master the YouTube platform and use it as a place to spread messages that change lives. Their clients have organically grown by over 18 billion views, that's billion with a B, and 81 million subscribers under their guidance. Today, he lives in Cincinnati, Ohio with his wife and seven children. He also is into homesteading, and you'll hear us talk a little bit about that. So grab your pen and paper. Tim gives away so much value in this interview. It's all the good stuff, my friends. So you're going to love this episode. Here we go. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jill, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I am so excited for this conversation. I know you're super busy, so I feel, number one, really honored to have you on. And uh, your team has been instrumental in helping me understand YouTube better. So when I was thinking of who to have on to talk YouTube, like you definitely were the only option. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, I think you're working with Delana on my team, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah. And she's like, hey, Jill wants to talk about YouTube. Do you want to do it? I'm like, absolutely, yes. (laughs) Like, I'll take that all day, every day. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's good. Fun. So I didn't even know when I initially reached out to you that you had a, a homestead interest. So you, I mean, it's it's a double whammy because you're the YouTube expert and you also understand the homestead niche. But sometimes 
when I work with different business people, they're awesome, but they have, they're like, you do what? Why are you talking about chicken? So it's a bonus when, <laughs> when you get it, you just get it. Yeah. I would call it a wannabe homestead. We are new to this. This is why I uh, love watching your content. I'm on your email list and follow you on Instagram. And uh, so I'm kind of not the fangirl a little bit right now, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's why I, I like, uh, yeah, I, I'm learning. My wife and I are both learning and we're growing, but uh, I guess when I think of homestead, I think of like what you you guys are doing, uh, and we're not there yet, but uh, we're learning. It's growing. Just yeah. a little background. What, well, tell us what you have homestead wise. What do you, what do you have your setup so far? Um, yeah, and then you can tell me if it's an actual homestead or not. How about okay. that? Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know how how to define that. Uh, so we have five acres zoned agriculture, and we have a little pond. We have 23 egg laying layer hens. We have 27 broilers I'm trying for the first time, um, just to see how that goes. We got to process them here in about three weeks. Um, yep, my first time trying that. We have a decent-sized garden plot. It looks like it might be about the size of what's inside your greenhouse, but ours is outside. And we've got six apple trees we planted last year, 12 blueberry bushes, um, four grapevines, and our one of our cats just had kittens, and now we have seven cats. Uh, what else do we have here? I actually wrote all this down because I was like, she's going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, my strawberries are going everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically like we just started this not too long ago. Um, COVID kind of kicked it into high gear for us. Yes. But um, but it's been something that we've been planning on doing for a few years now and are just starting uh we accidentally killed most of our strawberries last winter by covering them with too much straw they got moldy under there now we know yep. right so that kind of probably beginner mistakes that people make we're still working through yeah no i, I would say just based on your description that's 100 a homestead and if there was any doubt the seven cats completely sealed the deal oh, does it? <laughs> okay i figured it'd be the chickens that would seal it. I, well, no, the, the broilers i think that once you get into i mean homesteads are still varied by definition, but once you get into the meat animals, I feel like that is, you're in, you're officially in. We're done. Okay. Yeah. Good. Do I get like a patch or a badge or I feel like there anything? should be a patch. There should be one. some sort of certification. Like I have, <laughs> I have achieved level one. <laughs> exactly. Five. Yeah. And each time I plan something, I get a little more XP popping up above my head, like totally. a good video game, right? Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, we don't have goats yet. I thought when we had goats, we would be an official homestead. Uh, and I th was thinking about getting them, but the more I'm learning about goats, it seems like they are super emotionally needy or something, uh, or relationally yeah. or something. And I'm, um, we have seven kids and everything else going on right now, like, we don't have extra emotional capacity for yeah, that. Yeah, I, so. I, I feel that. I mean, a cow, cows feel slightly less needy, but also larger and more expensive. So it's kind of one yeah. of those trade-offs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. seven kids, you could put all that milk to good use. I mean, that would be easy and to get rid eggs. of Yeah, without good help. Well, I should say yeah. there's still, some of them are still pretty young, but uh, okay. the older ones are becoming good helpers and stuff too. Yes. Yeah. So good yeah. workforce. Nice. Yeah. I like it. All right, so let's switch gears a little over to YouTube because there is, you know, when I first started getting into YouTube, um, I haven't been in it as long as other online homesteaders just because I was focused on other platforms for so long. But there's yeah. a huge homestead niche over there. Like it's mm -hmm. it's incredible. Like there's the 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 decor people and the parenting vloggers and then the homesteaders. Like it's a big it's a big thing. But yeah. my question is, is it still worth it 
to start? If you're if you're new on YouTube, it's so crowded. Is it going to be even worth the time? Yeah, I mean, I think you first need to decide what your goals are for being on there. Um, some people, it's like you know, I just want to get a lot of views, or I just want, you know, they probably wouldn't say this out loud, but what I see is like, what they actually want is they need some personal affirmation and they'll go to the internet to get that, which I think is a terrible idea, (laughs) but as you probably know, but, uh, it doesn't take long to figure out there's there's a lot of haters out there too. Uh, Uh, or is it to grow a business or it kind of depends on what your goal. I, I don't think that YouTube is the right tool for every job. Right. I, I think it's one of the tools, but podcasting certainly is another tool you can use to reach people. Instagram, blogging, uh, speaking, writing books, uh, old fashioned radio. You know, it kind of just depends on what am I trying to do as a good homesteader would understand. And then what what's the right tool to get that done? And uh, for some people, YouTube is the right tool and for others, it's not. So uh, I think you got to start there. And then, and then determines you do the right tool. And if it is, then yes, it is worth, worth it. Yeah, it's a crowded place and there's a lot of competition. There's, it's a, as you already indicated, homesteading is such a really um, growing niche on the platform as well. But there's also 2 billion people logged in every month who are coming here to watch content on mobile alone. YouTube reaches more people than any other television network in the U.S. Uh, There's 1 billion hours being watched every single day as people who like being outside probably more than we like being on our screens. That might be appalling, but there are other people out there who just sit and watch YouTube all day. It's the second most visited website in the world, second to Google itself. And um, as of 2019, there's about, so it's probably up since then, but the last we heard is that there's five hour, 500 hours of content being uploaded to YouTube every single minute. So there is a lot of competition, but from my experience and from what I've heard around the inside circles that YouTube is not the exact stat, it's more like the principle, which you'll understand, is that about 95% of YouTube's traffic goes to only about 5% of its content. So there's some people who are just crushing it and do it. And there's a lot of people who aren't. Now, not everyone there is trying to get views, as we already indicated. Some people are just have other goals that they're trying to do. And um, and uh, the, not all of them revolve around getting views. But the, the, the principle still stands that there is a lot of opportunity and there is a lot of competition. But there are, as, as we've been working with you, learning, like there are some ways you can stand out and be a part of that 5% or whatever the actual stat might be. Yeah. So that's what we focus on helping people with. Yeah, and that, I didn't. I've never heard that stat before. That's extremely eye-opening, and also something I've noticed and experienced in right. my own way. You know, you have those videos that stand out, or I'll see someone else's video that stands out, and then none of their other content is getting seen, or none of my other content is getting seen, and, and you're like, "What on earth is is? Why is it working like this?" Right. Um, and it, I will say, YouTube has been the hardest platform for me to figure out. Like, I've mm-hmm. I just bumbled along into blogging and podcasting and writing a book. And I was able to do really well, just kind of trial and error. And YouTube was one. That's why I reached out to you guys, because I'm like, I can't figure this out. Like, it's not making sense. It's just a whole different animal, I think. Is it making sense for you more now? Yes, absolutely. And so like, if I... Finally, yes. 
Um, and I don't want to turn the interview back on you, but I'm curious to hear yeah. from you what you feel like the biggest differences are in terms of the all, the blogging, the Instagram, the podcasting, the book writing, and all that. I think, yeah. So it, the first time I ever, so I had that consultation with you first before I started mm-hmm. working with Delena. And the thing that really stuck out when you and I talked was that you were basically like, this isn't like a blog because I've been treating mm-hmm. it like a blog and I wanted it to, a video to be a blog post and to, to title it like a blog post. And you're like, no, you can't do that, which it, you were right because it wasn't working. Um, and so for me, the storytelling and crafting the titles and thumbnails, I was not spending any time on those. I was literally treating them like a blog post. How to make a biscuit mm. was, you know, would be like the title of the video. <laughs> that doesn't work yeah. on YouTube, as you know. So learning how not to, as much, yeah. Not as much, yeah. Learning how to be more creative and, and communicate my selling proposition with all those pieces has been crucial. I, have you taken those principles and applied them to the blog as well? Just out of curiosity. Like to a certain to a certain extent with blog posts like with titles and stuff there it, it's still you're playing to google's right, algorithms yeah. so if i get creative with a blog post title there it doesn't do as well but i have yeah. applied it to other other places in marketing you know headlines right. um email subject lines things like that i think it's one of the things a lot of people don't understand about youtube and it's very common among especially bloggers but anyone who's really just uh, used to growing I would say maybe five years ago or so. You've been doing this for a while, right? How many? Mm-hmm. When did you? Um, when did you 2010 start? 2010 is when I started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, the game has shifted a lot, especially on on YouTube. Like people think of search, and YouTube is a big search engine. It's the second largest search engine on the planet, second to Google. So I don't want to undermine that, but all you have to do is look at the homepage of YouTube and the homepage of Google. And quickly realize that they have very different goals. <laughs> they are very yeah. different platforms and they function in very different ways. So while there is a search function, most people on YouTube, the vast majority actually, don't find their content on YouTube through search. YouTube search and discovery systems just get really good at learning what video different viewers want to watch next. And then they just put that viewer, that video in front of that viewer at the right time, whether it be on the homepage when you first come to YouTube or be a suggested video while you're watching another one or the watch next or whatever the case may be. YouTube is more feeding you the content it thinks you want. And it's getting really freaky good at doing that. Yeah. It was just holding people's attention longer and longer and longer. And, uh, and so there's a different system on YouTube that we have to cater to, which is what you're alluding to, which is a little less of like, I got to get the keywords in the right spot and a little bit more, actually a lot more <laughs> of, I need to optimize this for humans, for people, not yeah. for robots, right? I need to optimize this for, if someone in my target audience saw this, would they be intrigued? Would, it's, would this title and thumbnail create enough curiosity that they would just click and watch as opposed to how to make a biscuit, right? There's not a whole lot of curiosity and there's like thousands of other videos with the same exact title doing pretty much the same thing. So that um, that element of, gets of, of creating curiosity, creating tension in the brain and just optimizing it for a viewer is exactly like what one of the biggest shifts I see that people coming out of blogging world and other places really have to make to start working well on YouTube. Yeah. And that was, that was a huge level for me um, for sure. And I, I didn't realize because, you know, because of go, going from blogging, I was using keywords and I had even taken YouTube courses in the past that taught you how to use keywords to craft right. your YouTube videos. And it just, it just wasn't working until we, that tension is really key. Like you said. 
Yeah. It, yeah. In 2012, I think it was October 2012, YouTube made an announcement saying that we are no longer focused on keywords on tags and on matching because what they were finding what people were doing was like, Hey, if I use this keyword 12 times, then YouTube must really be convinced it's about this thing. And the content might not be. And YouTube learned that the best video for the viewer isn't necessarily the one that used the right keyword 12 times. In fact, it might be this other video that doesn't have any keywords at all. That and and so they they actually they announced that they switched to the key metric that they that they evaluate is called watch time, which is how much time does people do people spend watching your content? And the longer people spend on the video, the more valuable Google and YouTube deems that video to be. So at, and that started a whole new shift of what we in the industry we call it viewer signals. And so it really comes down like ranking well and growing well on YouTube comes down a little bit less in terms of what keywords am I using and much more solidly in the camp of how are my viewers responding to this content? And when YouTube puts it in front of some, someone, they're, they're evaluating, do people click and watch this? Yes or no. If no people, if people don't click it, they stop surfacing it to people because they've got literally billions of other options that they could surface instead that people do click and watch. So those viewer signals put a lot of, I don't say control, it's not really control, but uh, influence maybe back in the hands of the viewers. And it's ultimately the viewers who end up determining how this video performs. So that's when we start shifting our mindset to being about how do I create content that engages my viewers that hooks and holds and captures their attention, as opposed to just content that's got the right keywords in the right places. Because like you said, all I have to do when someone's doing that strategy, all I have to say is like, oh, that's great. How's that working for you? And that's all I have to say. They're yeah. like, well, that's why I'm here. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's not working. Let's try something else. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this, this might be a tricky question. I don't know. This feels like it could be a, the answer. It depends, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Probably will be. Yeah. Probably. It always is. It always is. I know. Um, I'm sorry. Do you see any trends? We're talking about, you know, 95% of traffic is going to 5% or why YouTube serving some videos to certain people. And they're really good at keeping you hooked. Do you see any trends for what is working in the homestead niche specifically right now? Yeah, no, that's a good one. I don't think it depends, which is great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we get something a little more practical and tangible here. Yeah. Uh, and this is true, not just for the homesteading niche. This is true across YouTube as a whole, uh, based on some of the principles we've already discussed. And it really comes down to telling a good story. And in our case, on, in the homesteading niche, it's telling a good story around something educational. And that, like I said, that's not just YouTube. I mean, TikTok is exploding because people are telling good stories in 15 seconds. Yeah. Like we're not talking major motion picture films here. Like when people hear stories, sometimes they have this idea of what a story is. And and I get it. That is a story, two and a half hours in a dark theater. Like, yes, that's a story. Or a good book that takes 17 hours to read. Yes, that's a story. But 15 seconds on TikTok or YouTube shorts or something is also a good story. It just has to contain those elements. And they can go, you can go through them really quickly. And, uh, but it, those are the, those are the proven, that's the proven system that has been capturing people's attention for centuries, long before the internet even came around is telling a, a good story. And so the tricky part about the homesteading niche that uh, I think we understand homestead uh, or we understand 
well, maybe we don't understand story, but we understand what a story is anyway, and we can talk about what, what makes for a good story if you like. But yeah, the 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 place where people get caught up though is we've grown up in, and I'm not trying to be political here or anything. We just grown up in a system, especially if you went to public school, that says this is how you learn education. This is what education looks like. You sit down, you get facts, and then at the end, you successfully learn the facts if you filled in the right circles on the Scantron thing, right? And I think homesteaders probably understand this better than than most people. You're like, there's value to that, but there's also value to this other way of learning, which is experiential and it's hands-on and it's immersive. So uh, that... But when it comes to YouTube, sometimes we forget that and we kind of feel like education has to be step one, step two, step three. Here's how you bake the biscuit. Uh, Or we think story is like nothing educational, just entertainment. And when a story does its job well, the viewer doesn't even realize they're being educated, like they're actually learning something. Right. And that's that I think is the, the biggest opportunity in, in the homesteading niche on YouTube is because you guys, you, you have both. You have something to teach someone, but this is also part of your life story and your personal story as a character who wants something and is facing obstacles every single day, right? Um, I remember that first video that we kind of worked on where it was like your cow, right? And you're yeah. like, yeah. And that was like, oh, okay. Like everyone's first attempt is like learning a new skill, right? Uh, and you did a fantastic, fantastic job with it. Uh, but I, but I, cause like, I was already saw that I was more interested, even though we actually can't own a town, ta- a cow because of, there's actually, they just put in a uh, new development boarding oh. right our property. And so, um, but I think if I get our neighbor's property too, whenever that goes up for sale, I might be able to finagle some things, but yeah. that's a whole yeah. nother conversation because then we'll have, uh, more acreage. Uh, but yeah, so it's a, it's a skill to learn and, uh, like, how do I tell a good story? But at the end of it, I still could, if, not, if I asked someone like, hey, do you know how to um, take care of your sick cow now? People would be like, yeah, I know how I could do that. And I didn't click and watch for that, but I learned something along the way. Yes. So yeah, I'll stop rambling there. There's, there's more to go into, but yeah, does, that, does all that make sense? That does. And that's something Delana and I I, you know, because we tried a lot of different formats. We tried just like with my channel, strictly vlogging versus like mm. strictly education because I was really leaning yeah. towards all education which is funny that you mentioned the style of learning because I was homeschooled and I homeschool my kid but I still would be like I'm going to teach you how to make a biscuit whether you like it or not and it's going to be super dry <laughs> and like really boring so let's do this right. you know and right. I had like Delena really helped me shift out of that and be like you still tell you still have a storyline and then you teach them how to make a biscuit but like you said they don't right. realize that they're getting educated because it's fun it's fun to, to watch yeah. So, that so take that shift. same idea and put it in the context of a story, which is, I'm making this up on, you know, off the top of my head. So it might not be that great, but it's like, um, grandma and grandpa are coming over for dinner tonight. And my grandfather's favorite biscuit is this because when he was a boy, blah, blah, blah. So all I really want, that's when the character says, all I really want is to bring back those memories. I want him to bite into this biscuit and tell us one of those stories. Right. Now, here's how we make the biscuit. And it could be just like two or three sentences that sets up the story. Like, again, a story doesn't have to look a certain way. Uh, I mean, it does in some regards. It has to have some certain elements there. But just like we work with some like drawing tutorial channels, for example. Same thing. Like, here's how you do this. Make the pencil stroke here. Shade it like that. Not like this. 
And uh, a couple of these channels have like just opened up with a few sentences that were like, my wife just says she can't draw faces and maybe you can relate. And uh, I gave her this face to draw. This is how she's doing it. But I taught her two things. And then this is what it looked like after I taught her those two things. And you can see there's a drastic difference. He's already teasing the transformation story. We're like, this is with the character. They wanted something. They couldn't have it. And there's this transformation that happens if you have these two things. And now the viewer is like, what are those two things, right? And then yeah. as opposed to just jumping into today, I want to teach you two things that will help you improve your drawing. That doesn't, that won't grab people's attention nearly, nearly as emotionally as, as the story. So then you, you teach people how to make the biscuits. And then at the end, it ends with that shot of grandpa taking a bite. And, and the difference is like, if I just watched the tutorial video, I would have gotten good information. But when it's wrapped in that story, I get the good information. But more importantly, I'm also feeling something now. There's an emotional connection that's happening with you and your brand and your grandfather and the story, which makes that emotional connection makes someone much more likely to not only watch more of the video and give you more watch time, but also more likely to subscribe, more likely to come back and watch more. They're like, because they have that feeling. And so it's not just about information now. It's about patch packaging the information in like an experience that the viewer can vicariously have through your content. Yes. And I think even more so now than ever, anytime we're creating content on or anything internet related, people are really craving that connection. Like people, oh, all, yeah. people always want connection, but even more so now, like that's really, really important. You know, the interesting thing, I didn't really think about this just now when you said that, which is the more isolated people become by spending too much time on YouTube, yeah. the more connection they're seeking out on the platform. That's interesting. I might have yeah. to wrestle, roll around with that a little bit more. But for sure. yeah, so for us as creators, that might be a good thing, but it might not be good for humankind as a mean, whole. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not long term. So, yeah. um, so you kind of touched on some of that when you were giving the biscuit example, but could you pull out just in case people missed that, um, some of those elements of good, a good story, like what are the yeah. most important pieces? Yeah. So when we work with clients like you or other people, we, we usually start a pretty basic level, which is here's seven questions. And before you hit record, answer as many of these questions as you can. Uh, and then use this as the structure for your content and also informed what the title and thumbnail will be. So question number one, who is the character? And in your case, it's usually you. That one's pretty simple. Uh, number two, what do they want? And so you're, we're thinking about building a, a greenhouse. I've been watching a lot of your greenhouse videos lately. And you'll just say, you know, here's just flat out. Here's what I want, which is perfect. No, I notice you're doing that, but a lot of other viewers might not notice how intentional you are now about just saying, here's what I want. Um, I want this. Um, it's not irrigation system, the sprinklers. What did you call that? Yeah, like the, the drip system. Yeah, the water system. Yeah, like in your, yeah. And then you've got these obstacles you got to overcome to get that. So number one, who's the character? Number two, what, what do you, what does the character want? And just, if you're brand new to this, just flat out say it. And even listen on television and radio and other podcasts, like people who tell good stories, it's, you'll even notice it now that the character uses just flat out states like, you know, I just, I just want that girl to notice me or uh, that guy, that man just needs to die or something like they just flat out state it. Number three, um, why can't the character have what they want? So these are the, these are the obstacles. Like what's, what, what is preventing them from getting that? You need to have good obstacles and on homesteading that's, you don't usually have to make them up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number four, 
<laughs> What's at stake if the character doesn't get what they want? Now, this is the difference between a story that kind of falls flat and a story that really grabs people's attention is like, it's not really just about getting the irrigation or the, or the drip system in. It's more about um, the feeling uh, that you are going to have you would have um, wasted all this time and energy and you would have planted all this stuff. And at the end of it is like, it's just not going to grow. Or even like right now, uh, you're saying that it's too hot and everything's yeah. in there is just going to die. I'm going to fry it. Like what's at stake? A lot, you know, you're yeah. all that, all that food. So there's stakes. Um, and you can do all four of those first questions and you should do all four of those relatively quickly in the opening 15, 20 seconds or so, even less of your video. Here's, here's what I am. Here's what I want. Why can't I have it? And what's that stake if I don't get it? Then the rest of the content now is, is how do you overcome that? So you could, in some good stories, number five, who or what comes along and helps the character do what they couldn't do before. So sometimes it's your kids. Sometimes it's your husband. Sometimes it's like this greenhouse is helping me do what I couldn't do before. It's a tool or a new system or something you've learned. Um, who or what comes along, like the role of the guy. Uh, question number six is then how does a character ultimately get what they want? So there's some sort of resolution. But the difference between a story that people love and then people just like, they love a story where the, the last question is, um, how is the character different now as all this process? What does that transformation look like? So at the end, we can see at the beginning, they were frustrated and they were confused about how this is going to work out. At the end, they are satisfied and joyful, right? Like yeah. uh, if at the beginning they were nervous, at the end they're confident. If they're scared, at the end they're 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 um, they're feeling uh, secure. Like it's just it's just like whatever the feeling is in the beginning, the end is the opposite of of that. So when you before you hit record for people here who are listening, it's it's usually best to plan out as many of those as you can. Now we're on a homestead. We don't know what all the obstacles are going to be, but at least you now know what to look for as you're shooting those. Like, oh, this is not because sometimes uh, we as experts, especially like you, Jill, too, as an expert in your space. That's not a normal obstacle to you. Oh, I know how to fix that. Boom, it's gone. And I'll be watching like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How'd that happen <laughs> right there, yeah. right? And, uh, and so even though you know that it's really not going to be that difficult to get these chickens from over here to over there, just saying like, hey, like these are everything that could happen. And you might know like, yeah, it's unlikely. <laughs> you know, right, if it happens, right. it won't be a big deal. But for a viewer who lives in New York City or someone like me who's just learning, that is like, really? And you're not lying. You're just serving the viewer better by telling, giving them what they want, which is a good story that engages them. So, yeah. yeah. So you don't, you don't need to always have the guide, but you do need to have the character, the desire, the obstacles and the stakes pretty quickly. And then there's the actual content of how you're overcoming the obstacles, these to a climax, and then a quick resolution of transformation at the end. So Planning yeah. that story takes a lot more time than just like, here's how you mix the biscuit, right? Um, For sure. Which is start to separate the 95% of content from the 5%. And, you know, when I, when you guys first started teaching me that and it just like the planning ahead, I wasn't doing that at all before. So mm. I would literally be like, I'm going to do biscuits today. I just would hit the button, you know, cause I know mm. enough I can just ramble through it, but it was taking me forever in post-production because I had to really? try to piece it together when I was editing it. Or figure out like I'm like what's the point of this video? I'm not really sure. So we're just gonna throw it together. And then I didn't have a good title and a good thumbnail. So just the, 
that's the biggest piece has been planning ahead, even though it takes longer, you know, not that much longer, but it does take longer, saves so much time on the back end. I found. And you get a better video as a result. Yeah. That people actually are getting value from. Yeah. Instead of watching a bunch of just rambling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They're like, what about that biscuit? I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Summer is basically here and we're all spending way more time outside working in the garden and around the barnyard. And one of the things I love to treat myself with at the end of a long day of working on the homestead is a sweet drink when I sit out on the back porch and watch the sun go down. Now, this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but I kind of like Coke and other pops and sodas, but I do try to avoid them. And one of the ways I do that is by playing around with different flavors of iced tea. I like to add a little stevia or honey or maple syrup, a whole bunch of ice, and everybody is happy, even the kids. However, I have learned that not all teas are created equal. A lot of the teas that you might find at the grocery store have been treated with pesticides or they're packaged in bleached tea bags or they're loaded with a bunch of artificial junk. Thankfully, I have found some organic loose leaf teas that are amazing. The Positively Tea Company is family owned and operated and they take their tea very seriously. They have zero added sugars, but the taste and quality are amazing. Plus, their prices are hard to beat. I especially love the value of the one pound bags, which means you're basically getting four times the tea for only twice the price. So to grab your loose leaf teas for your summer nights on the homestead or the back porch, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash tea, and you can get an additional 10% off your entire order with the code homestead. And now back to our episode. Our focus of my, my current, this podcast season has been just helping folks figure out how to create side income from their homestead or maybe a full-time income from their homestead. Cause that's really one of the, the desires of many homestead minded folks. We're independent, you know, we're gritty and we have that mm-hmm. piece where we're like, we don't like people to tell us what to do. And a lot of folks at all are ready to not only be independent in their food, but also be independent in their finances and their income. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about, you know, local businesses and farmers market stuff and digital online businesses. If someone is more in the farmer's market world, let's say they're making soap or jams or selling stuff from their garden and that's their business plan. Can you YouTube help with a business like that as far as to create growth or sales, or is it more something that you would see helping with an online type of brand? Yeah. Uh, so there's two answers to this. Uh, I, I'll say if I was in that person's shoes, you certainly could make content that grows a local audience on YouTube. It has been done. Real estate agents, for example, do this. But I don't think it's the direction I would go just because it's uh, – if you know, homesteaders, especially probably more than most people, don't have a ton of extra time. Right? Uh, I mean everyone says that, but when everyone else – doesn't have a homestead on top of everything else we're already doing. So uh, I I think that that's probably like 80% more work for 20% more reward. And so I would rather flip that. Like, where do I put 20% more effort for 80% more reward? And if I was doing more local wares and goods and services, I think I would probably just 
take a shortcut and go to um, like YouTube ads and Facebook ads where I can okay. specifically geo-target uh, an audience and then use that as the way I attract or get in front of my potential customer and then use my YouTube channel to engage them and to uh, earn trust okay. and credibility. So as opposed to it just being, I'm going to make content on YouTube and hopefully someone from India starts watching or something yeah. instead, like we're our goal here in that scenario, like I said earlier, is not necessarily to get as many views as possible. The goal is to get that video in front of the right person. So in that person, that case is better to be in front of only 10 of the right people who will become customers than to be in front of a million views on YouTube of people who don't translate to customers. Now a million views would happen. Rev ad revenue that would probably eclipse your, your soap sales, but sure. you get the idea that right, right. it's, it's, uh, if your goal is to grow the soap business, then you want to be in front of 10 of the right people, then like, let's say a thousand of the wrong people. Yeah. Um, and that certainly your soap sales certainly would eclipse that. Um, so yeah, I think I would still make the content, but I would have a different strategy for how I position video content to grow my business. It wouldn't just be in the sense I'm growing a YouTube channel, the traditional yes. way, like you and other people would, who have a more of a online international or even national audience. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I guess I had never thought about using, I mean, I've used Facebook ads, but YouTube ads specifically and getting more specific to that local audience. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I wouldn't use the ads to grow the channel. I would mm -hmm. just, I would have the videos on my channel for people who wanted to see it, but I would probably be doing the more traditional um, lead magnet approach uh, or uh, free content. And that leads into uh, on my own owned and operated platform, like on, on my own website and getting them into a funnel there rather than um, just, just using ads to grow your YouTube channel is hands down the most ineffective and expensive mm -hmm. way to grow your yeah. channel. So I yeah. would not okay. do that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yep. Yep. Um, I've also found that for Facebook platforms. I haven't done that in a long time, but in the past I tried that and it, doesn't yeah. work great. I mean, it works, right. but you get a lot of weird, not real people who are, <laughs> who are following yeah. you. So yeah, the math on that is not good. Uh, but using video as a part of your sales funnel on your own platform can work well if you get the right customers into that funnel. Sure. Okay. So how, whether it's a, maybe we'll speak to more of an online product or like a course or an ebook or some sort of online service. How can you market a product market a product authentically on YouTube. Because um, I this was something I had to really think about because when I started working with you guys, you were like, you know, YouTube wants you to stay on the YouTube platform. So you want to be careful about how often you're constantly sending people off platform. So how, how do you recommend folks approach that? Yeah. So there's probably two levels to this. One is your question, like, how do you do it authentically? And then the other part of this is how do you do it strategically? So I'll start with strategically first. Uh, so we teach here a three bucket strategy, which is we're basically going to form a customer journey, sales funnel. I know they're different, but for the sake of our discussion, let's call them the same mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like basically, if we're gonna boil it all down, like how do we make it just really clear and obvious what step we want the viewer to take next? After, as a result of what they just experienced with us. So the first bucket is like, uh, if there's three different types of content that we're going to make, the first bucket 
is our discoverable bucket. And this is where we are going to make videos that are intentionally designed and crafted and even scripted, maybe if necessary, to go out and get that first time viewer who's never heard of me, never, frankly, doesn't even care. They're just clicking on that title and thumbnail because it created some sort of intrigue, curiosity, tension in their brain. The only way to relieve that tension is to actually click and see what happens next. So that content then needs to quickly start delivering on whatever that title and thumbnail pitched so that they feel like I'm in the right spot. So if it's like, you know, this thing happened with my cow, that thing with your cow can't happen at five minutes in. It has the op like the opening yeah. seconds, right? Yeah. So we are intentionally crafting a good story. Um, I think you're familiar with primal branding things, mm -hmm. which we can yep. get into here, but basically the, the signals that the viewer needs to have in order to quickly fall in love with our content and with our brand, we're intentionally incorporating those things into that content. And then at the end, the only call to action, there's no subscribe, smash we're not smashing any like buttons there's not comments there's not share like like all these things that nobody does actually no matter how yeah. much you beg them uh is the only call to action that we want them to take is click and watch another video like hey uh, if you're figuring out how to do uh if you're making this biscuit uh and you want a full meal to go along with it put together a short playlist right here three videos they're going to be the the drink and the main course you need and a dessert to go along with this these are my this is my favorite meal to search people like come or click right here i'll see you in the next video and when we do something like that the click through rate on those end screens typically goes from about 0.7 to 1% to about 20 some percent not on every video i mean some of our clients have got like 42% click through rate wow. on the end screen wow. yeah which is ridiculous but you just think about how what happens algorithmically when you have your best viewer getting to the end of your video, giving you the maximum amount of watch time, and then you give them a pitch to watch more, and, and you're putting it, getting them to a short playlist where they can start watching two or three videos in a row. Then as you're accumulating all that watch time, a couple of things happen. One, those next videos people watch uh, are more likely to become the next suggested videos, even the people who don't finish and get to the end because YouTube starts learning the signal that 20 some percent of the people who watch this end up watching this video next. And so they just end up making it a suggested video for other people, which is great. So now instead of having everyone else's videos being next to yours, yours start to become more likely to become positioned next to your own content. Also, you're taking the person who's already giving you the max amount of watch time and asking them to give you more watch time on, on other videos, which is really good for that. And what happens, the best part of this is though, if you can get them to watch two, three, four of your videos in a row, then when they come back, to YouTube later, YouTube's like, hey, you really like Jill's videos. Here's like this other one you haven't watched yet. And that's what makes you more likely to be on their homepage in front of them to show up as suggested next to other content that is like not even maybe related to yours or related to what they're watching things. So um, that's when we start seeing like some of our clients going from like 2000 subscribers a day to like 39,000. So that happened when I was crude for a couple of days. Uh, I think it was about a week. He was just at 39,000 subscribers every day. He just blew past wow. a million, 2 million subscribers, kept going. And about 90 something, like 93% of that traffic was from homepage, right? Wow. That's where explosive growth comes. It doesn't come from search and things. Yes. So, um, and we did a lot of the same things with him. We just talked about here is like optimize for humans. He was trying to do the keyword thing and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and then it broke his business actually. And he came back and he's like, this has been great, but my business can't sustain this type of traffic. Oh and word. so we're going back to 2000 subs a day. That's where I've decided I want my life. That's where I live comfortably. Okay. I'm like, okay. okay, I respect that. You know, yeah. people who are willing to set boundaries. So that's good. But um, 
Yeah. So the first bucket is discoverable and that's like the top of funnel for us, so to speak. The second one, I'll try to go a little quicker here for you. <laughs> the second good, one is community good. and the community bucket is uh, us mostly just talking to the audience we already have. The goal, the, the goal of the discoverable video is to get first time viewers. The goal of the community video is now to nurture that relationship. It's to grow the no like, and trust factors. And it's not a video that's intended to get tons of views. We'll publish it in maybe a week or so later it's kind of tapered off and passed through people's home feeds. And that's about, that's, that's, that's great. That's all it was intended to do. As long as it helped people feel like they're more connected to us or to our brand or to the thing we're doing or to our story or, or whatever. And the only call to action on that video is uh, the first ask is watch more. The second ask now in, in this journey is let's start engaging comment. Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure this out. Like, how would you guys do this? If your if if your um, greenhouse was a hundred whatever degrees, I got every fan blowing. I got everything I know what to do, and it's still at this like, what would you guys do? And if you're in a similar situation, read those comments down there. Like I learn from you guys all the time. Like thank you so much for being part of this community. Read, you're gonna learn more from them than you probably learned from me here. Like to like like let's help each other out with this, right? So you're really just giving a hard push to build community. And so the first step, the next step for that potential customer is is start engaging. The third bucket is our sales video. And this is when we get to like, okay, we brought them in with Discoverable, just like we do with the email. And um, over time, uh, um, they uh, grow that no like and trust factors, and then they're ready to make a um, a transaction, which is uh, like, I just published one last week. It was still good content, um, but it was, uh, around this idea that good design equals perceived credibility. So I talked a little bit about that and how um, we don't need film crews and such, but we do need to make sure that it looks somewhat professional. And there's some simple ways to do that. You can buy this course bundle <laughs> that I'm a part of and everything you need to know about how to do that is right here. And then you take a solid, like, it's not like a quick little mention at the end. It's a solid, like two, three minutes of like, Here's what, and then that's when we're sacrificing this performance of that video by having them click and then leave YouTube going off platform. Um, And so it's basically the same thing we do with our email marketing, just kind of put on to YouTube. So that's the strategic part. Um, Does that make sense? You want me to hit the authentic part? Yep. Yep. So the authentic part, uh, I think you do this really well, Jill. I mean, you wouldn't be where you are if you didn't, (laughs) which is... Uh, it's the authentic part is like the coming back to the emotional things people feel, which is, I feel like you genuinely are interested in helping me succeed. And you're already, I can already see how much you're putting into your video content, into your podcast, into your blogs. I'm on your email list. I see that like everything you're putting into those emails. And like, I feel like the way she presents herself, the way she talks is like, she genuinely has a heart of wanting to help other people. And so then when it comes time to buy your planner or something, it doesn't feel like it's a, like, uh, like a hard left turn. <laughs> it feels like here's something else that I'm offering to you that will help you uh, get what you want because your viewer is a character who has desire and obstacles and stakes and you are the guy that comes along and helps them do what they couldn't do before. So it gets complicated because we're actually posi- we're telling a story but in a way that positions us as the guide for our viewer, right? Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah. So it, it comes across authentic because it's more like I've been supporting you the best I can with these videos. And now here's a way I can support you even better. Mm-hmm. And it feels a little more like giving value as opposed to like, I'm just trying to extract value from you. Right. And I think those stories you tell go a long way in helping people feel something about that with you, as opposed to just feeling like you're just trying to get into their wallet. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And just continuing to solve problems, you know, and that's the, that's been the biggest thing is with, you know, working with you guys is just what's the problem we're solving with that storytelling sequence. And I think just bringing that along into your sales process, um, that at least for me makes it easier or less awkward. Yeah. Because I'm just solving a problem in a different way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, solving the problem, pitching a solution um, around the story. I mean, the classic example of uh, marketing is uh, your customer has a problem and you're selling the solution. And we're still doing that, but we're just giving a little bit more of an emotional spin to the problem by saying, you are a character who faces obstacles um, and there's something at stake for you if you don't have this planner. Like uh, you're going to spend a lot of time planting things that you don't need and having too much of something else and you're just not going to be in the right spot. You're not getting enough sun or like whatever. And plant. even you and your, one of your videos was at your greenhouse lately, I didn't even considered you're like, Hey, we're going to put like the citrus tree over here and this other stuff on the South side so that the tree grows, it doesn't block the sun. I'm like, oh, I never would like, <laughs> as soon as you say it, I'm like, yes, but I would be like, that's a good spot for a tree. Yeah. I'm sure those are the types of mistakes like everyone makes and then regrets later, but yeah. there's just a learning curve to some of this stuff as I'm already learning with my strawberries and things, yep. but um, yeah. So it's like, here's what's at stake for you. And then here, let me sell you the guide. Here's how you get the guide that helps you. So you can, and ultimately what we're selling is not strawberries or how to set up a greenhouse or how to plan your, your garden or anything. Instead, it's actually, we're selling the transformation that someone actually wants, okay. which is to feel independent, feel a sense of freedom and a sense of pride over what they've accomplished. And uh, one of my favorite parts actually about it is um, our, our chickens are actually budget-wise for our family. They're actually in our hospitality budget because oh. we put the, like, there's no way to, for us to make the chickens break even. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so instead we said to think about it differently. We'll put this in the gift to know the neighbors fund instead. Yeah, and like so that. now it becomes a thing that we use when new neighbors come in. We're like, Hey, I know we're supposed to bring you cupcakes or muffins, but here's a couple dozen eggs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they're like, weird okay <laughs> oh, you're those but neighbors. it's work- okay yeah yeah well i mean they can already see and maybe even smell the chickens i don't know probably yeah. not it's not that bad but uh and hear them for sure um so it's not like they're shocked by that but it becomes the thing that we use as an excuse to go to our neighbors next door hey we got some extra eggs you, you guys like and they always love it and now we're there starting a conversation so we use um, so that's the transformation that our family has accidentally stumbled upon is like what we really like. So it's not just about those other things, although it is, it's ultimately about relationships in our family and with people around us. I like that. All right. So I want to be respectful of your time. We'll wrap up here. Do you have any last minute bits of advice for a homesteader who's looking towards YouTube as a way to create connection and community and maybe create a little extra income on the side? I would recommend that people who are thinking about getting started, usually where they go is they just jump to buying like researching cameras and shooting stuff and posting it. But 
if we're going to talk about doing 20% more work for 80% more results later, I think putting that time instead into just watching YouTube is a really good way to start learning and observing. It's said that the best authors are the ones who read the most books. And I think that also is true about YouTube or anything. The best YouTube creators are the ones who watch the most YouTube. And there might even be an opportunity here to do this together as a family where, uh, you, and I'm not talking about just homesteading channels, although you certainly should watch those, but you should be watching dance channels, cooking channels, travel channels, family vlogging channels, um, uh, tech channels, like even channel, like kid channels, stuff you would never otherwise watch, but you're watching it not so much as to like for enjoyment, but you're turning this into an educational experience, which is you're paying attention to why do I want to click on this title and thumbnail versus that one right now? Or I'm in the middle of this content and I'm bored. Well, why are you bored? So pay attention. Notice the patterns in yourself of what's causing you to feel like you're ready to abandon this video or, or like double tap to skip ahead 10 seconds. Like, why am I skipping ahead? Like, what's happening here? Or we get to the end of the video, you're like, whoa, that one's over already? Why is that over? Like, I, I want more. Like, great. What happened to that content that made you feel that way? And just start paying attention to your own behavior on YouTube and start keeping track of the patterns that you see. And that's why I think it'd be a good family experience. You watch, the, like, the, the, let's say you're going to watch Do Perfect, one of our family's favorite channels together. And then the end, you're like, hey, why did, why do you like it? And the kids don't come up with like super deep stuff because our yeah. oldest is like 11, our youngest is three. So, you know, and they got seven of them in between there. So, but it's still good for, I think, to have them start critically thinking about what they're consuming and, um, but anyway, yeah, as a, as a creator though, watching more YouTube is one of the best things you can do before you hit record, get inspiration, learn a ton. And then, um, when you feel like, okay, we've got some things, then jump in. Yeah. I like that. Great advice. Where can folks, um, connect with you and all your amazing offerings is guys, Tim has some really good programs. If you're, if you're wanting to just learn this stuff and quit second guessing and fumbling, like I was. I highly recommend him and his team. Where can people find you, Tim, and connect with you? Yeah, well, we also have a weekly podcast. At, yeah. uh, just search iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you listen to it. Just search for video creators. And um, my we should pop up right there. It's me and two of the other strategists, Delena, who you're working with, and other mm -hmm. strategists, Lennon, and we have a few others as well who pop in. But uh, yeah, so you should find us there. And we're always, every week, just trying to give good value in terms of like, how do we help people who are trying to grow their channel, take it to the next level, usually with more advanced tips and tactics and strategies than just the kind of the basic stuff you hear everywhere else. Uh, and then also videocreators.com is where we've got our consulting and one hour sessions and things like that there. So you can go there and check that out too. Fabulous. All right, friends. Well, that's it for today and this episode. Definitely go check out Tim's podcast. It's one of the business podcasts that I listen to almost every episode. It's really, really good. Um, and all the amazing things he has to offer. So thank you again, Tim. This was fabulous. He provided so much value. Um, just really, really good, good stuff. Thank you. Good. good. Well, thanks for having me. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch up on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.